Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Not too close to the speakers. <laughs> so we are in this, this Red Letters series, um, just hearing about Jesus' words, what he has for us today, and what he shared with his followers in his day. Um, this morning, I'm going to be reading, um, talking about the passage in Mark 10, um, and this is about uh, fitting a camel through the eye of a needle. And it's a pretty, um, it's a hard passage. It's one um, that we can really struggle with sometimes. Um, I'm going to just start out by reading chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. With every, everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Um, this was out of the, the New Living Translation. And I apologize for not having it on the screen. <laughs> um, so these words of Jesus, I think, are, like I said, they're, they're pretty hard to hear. Um, and there are some other phrases in the Bible as well that we just kind of take us aback and don't seem to quite make sense. They're confusing because of our perception of him um, and our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and love others well. So we might find ourselves wondering, like, how in the world are these red letters of, of Jesus actually, like, how do they align with what we know of the kingdom of God and what that looks like in our lives? 
Jesus doesn't fit into our tidy, um, alphabetized, Americanized little boxes. His ways are so much higher than ours. And his standard is holiness, being set apart, and sacrifice, and surrender. And without him, as this passage says, it's impossible for us. We can't earn enough, or do enough, or acquire enough, or even give enough to save ourselves. It's only by his grace, and his sacrifice, and his blameless righteousness that we are saved. And we read here just how far we've fallen just how far sin separates us from him. Um, so I, I chose this passage of Red Letters after listening to a podcast by um, Dr. Tim Keller um, on the same passage. So I'll be referring to some of what he shared as well. Uh, his, his podcast is called um, Gospel in Life, and I would really recommend it. Um, he is a great communicator, uh, and this specific episode is called Camels and Money. Um, referring to this, the kind of punchline that Jesus has for us in this passage. So the starting scene for this passage is um, this rich, powerful, young ruler, and he's searching, he's looking for answers, comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, hoping to find this missing piece in his life. But it's important to know that in all other ways, he really has everything that anyone could ever want in life. His, he has a great reputation. Um, his character and prestige um, is high esteemed by many and is even confirmed through the disciples' response to Jesus in verse 26. Um, and this says, the disciples were astounded. Who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Keller said, it's not like the disciples said... Um, oh, good, we don't really like the rich people anyway. It's good they're not coming into heaven. Um, no, they, they were amazed and astounded. They had this moment like, oh, whoa, wait a second, uh-oh. If he can't get into heaven, like, what chance is there for the rest of us? And this gives us an, a glimpse into who this man really was. He was not just rich, but he was also moral. He was, he was good. Maybe he had a, a healthy retirement account already at his young age. Maybe he made regular charitable contributions and stewarded his money and his possessions well, but he still has this emptiness, this void, and this longing that our Creator put in us for only God and his kingdom. But the young man doesn't know that. He's just looking for the next thing to do um, the next thing to strive for, because surely this next thing will, will satisfy. And the eternal life that he's seeking, that's, he just kind of wants to, to add it on. So he comes to Jesus, and he's, he's probably heard about Jesus before. Um, he knows he's a good, a good teacher, but he doesn't really know Jesus apart from any other rabbis. He asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So at this point, Jesus responds, and this is where I kind of um, read a lot of my own perspective into Jesus' words. So I'm picturing Robert De Niro's famous line, like, you talking to me? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. 
He knows that this man doesn't know him from Adam. Ha ha, pun intended. <laughs> but Jesus knows he's asking the wrong questions. Ironically, though, I learned in the podcast that this would have been a very normal question. Um, questions like this would have been raised plenty of times in the temple. They were good teaching points for the Pharisees. Um, for the religious leaders, they provided great teaching points, and this young guy probably knew what the answer was when he asked the question. But he wanted to hear it confirmed by a good teacher. And in Jesus' first answers, how other leaders would have. He points him in the direction of Jewish law, the, the commandments. And Keller says, Jesus gives a little foreshadowing of his major point, um, the camel through the eye, when he says, why are you calling me good? Because Jesus is really saying, again, you don't really know me from anybody else. You don't know me from another rabbi. Why are you calling an average person good? Only God is good. Jesus is pointing out the issue of when we make good things into ultimate things. Pastor and author Paul David Tripp says this is the biblical principle of idolatry. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. And that's exactly how idolatry separates us from God. By allowing whatever we're spending time and energy on, whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're striving for, that's what rules us. We might think we're safe because it's a noble cause. We rationalize and think, well, I, I need this, like, to live. This will seal the deal for me. This will make me most happy or most successful or profitable or productive. It becomes our everything. Our identity becomes wrapped up in it and even shapes then our decisions and our values. <clears throat> That's why in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus also says we cannot serve both God and money and why he tells the rich young ruler that there's one thing he hasn't done yet. Jesus tells him to go and sell all his possessions and give his money to the poor. And the man says, finally, I know what to do. I can do this now and be fulfilled, right? No, quite the opposite. The New Living Translation uses the word sad to describe the man as he walks away. But grieved is used in the King James Version and is probably more accurate. Um, Keller points out that this Greek word grieved is actually the same, the same word used when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified. They both experience this immense grief and distress. But the rich young ruler, his was misplaced. Instead of receiving a quick fix formula for eternal life, the young man was met with what seemed like an impossibility, something he could not attain. He wasn't willing to. And that's why Jesus has these challenging words for his disciples and us in verses 25 and, and 27. Dear, ch dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
humanly speaking, it, meaning being saved, is impossible. This doesn't sit well with Peter. He realizes that he might not have as, as many possessions as this young ruler, um, but he pipes up to remind Jesus, like, remember how much we gave up for you? Like, doesn't that mean something for us? You see, wealth can look different um, for different people. It can mean money and possessions for some, but it can also mean this moral wealth and making idols out of our virtues. So Jesus is really getting to the root of the issue. He just asks for everything, even the good things like a savings account or even the relationships in our lives. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 14, 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. And back to our passage in Mark, Jesus responds to Peter basically saying, it's about trust. You have to trust me. You have to trust me that this life, here and now, what you see, is not all there is. There will be a hundred times more wealth in the next life. But for now, expect persecution. Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, there will be persecution. And remember, things are different in the kingdom. There, the greatest are least, and the least are greatest. As the worship team comes forward, I, I just wanted to share one final takeaway from the message. Um, Keller says, this passage, this passage makes us look at how we're dealing with our deformities because we all have them. Often they're supplemented with our idols. Instead of dropping everything to follow Jesus, you know, really pursuing him like he pursues us, we add things on in an attempt to fill the void, to measure up. Maybe this is how the rich young ruler became so wealthy. I don't know, but I do know in my own life that things don't get better um, when we try to replace Jesus. I'm still left feeling empty and out of control and less than. And it begins to feel like running on a treadmill, working hard and getting nowhere. It feels daunting and hopeless, like trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. It's just utterly impossible. But, as the passage says, with God, everything is possible. It doesn't mean everything makes sense, though. Again, God's ways are far higher than ours, and his kingdom is often reversed and upside down in our thinking. And there's no formula. There's trust and waiting and listening on Holy Spirit. This is how we're saved, not by the amount in our retirement account or how much land we own, or how nice our cars are, how many cars we have, not even by how much we will leave for our children. That one hurts. Because God's got them too. He's holding our children too, and the future generations. So do we want to spend eternity with Jesus? 
We must flip our thinking and remove these must-haves from our list, leaving only Jesus at the center. And only then do we allow him in his rightful position to be Lord and Savior of our lives.